What a great truth, isn't that? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, I am very thankful and very happy. Uh, What a privilege it is to partner with so many families and even to baptize my two sons. It's a wonderful morning. A couple of quick announcements before we dive into the text today. On May 7th, we're having a members meeting. And in that members meeting, we're going to share some exciting things about the building projects. I really want to encourage you to come. We're also going to be voting on a couple things, so check your bulletin to see what those are. And we're going to have an opportunity to hear some testimonies of people that are joining North Park. So that'll be a blessing. Also, weren't those baptisms just a beautiful thing? Well, if you are an adult and you are interested in learning more about baptism, uh, whether you would potentially like to be baptized yourself or you're just curious about what North Park teaches about baptism, or you just have nothing to do from 11 to 12. Uh, we have a, we're having a baptism class for adults up in room 305, the, the second floor there, or third floor, I guess, if you include the basement. Uh, and so we'd love, if you're an adult, if we'd love to have you join us if you're interested in learning more about that. So let's pray, and uh, we'll begin. Lord, let it be today that we shout the hymn of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Lord, there are many people that have gathered today in this place that come in different stages. Some are here rejoicing, seeing their kids or grandkids or cousins or nephews or friends get baptized Some, though, may be walking in heavy, with heavy hearts, hardships, difficult things going on in our life. And Lord, today we pray that the verse we're going to be studying will be a healing balm and soothing aloe to their souls, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that you'll speak through it. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Is it possible for a verse to be one of the most comforting verses in Scripture and in fact, one, uh, one website did research and found that it was the fourth most memorized verse in the Bible because it just brings a ton of comfort, but also it can potentially cause emotional damage when shared in the wrong way or in the wrong timing. Many of us know this verse and many of us have memorized it. And at the same time, it's possible that maybe you quoted this verse at a time in someone else's life that wasn't necessarily the best time to say it. That verse is Romans 8:28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This verse is a healing balm to all of us who are going through hard times. In fact, some theologians call it a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. When we went to Florida 2 weeks ago, uh, I decided to go one step above the carry-on and, and check a bag. It was for two reasons. One, I wanted to bring something back for my kids. And two, I wanted to bring my pillow. Not, not my pillow, but my, my pillow. Um, because I'm very particular about my pillows. In fact, when I was in college, I finally found the perfect pillow, and I used it way beyond when I was supposed to continue using it, to the point that one day when I was gone for a weekend, Sandy threw it away. But I've now found another pillow, and thankfully this pillow I found online, so if it dies, I can get another one and say he doesn't have to throw it away. But there's something about a special pillow that's just the right height, just the right softness, 
just the right hardness that allows you to rest. Well, this verse has actually been called that. A, a soul pillow. A thing that brings you rest. Yet it can be wielded by sincere Christians with good intentions to maybe trivialize our pain or minimize our grief. One brother in Christ I knew of lost his child unexpectedly and tragically. It was a really hard time. And after months of people trying to comfort, he reflected back on what was the most helpful and what was the least helpful thing during that time. And he said this, Romans 8.28 was a truth I needed to continually remind myself of, but one that I wished other believers wouldn't try to remind me of. I think the reason Christians often misuse this verse is because we don't see the verse in the eternal sphere of its context, which we have in this passage. I've heard well-meaning Christians say things like, I know breakups are hard, but God has someone better for you. There's a lot of fish in the sea. And that's possible. God may have someone better for you, but God may also call you to a life of singleness. People say, I know you lost your job, but God has a better job for you. That's possible, but God as part of your sanctification process, may have you take a job where you make less pay or have to work harder hours. I know this hurts now, but eventually you'll see why this all happened. That's possible, but sometimes God allows us to go through things and doesn't give us the answers to why in this lifetime. Other people say when God closes a door, he also opens a window. I did some research. I found that's from First Opinions 2-3. We don't see that passage in the scripture. And, and frankly, have you ever tried to climb out a window? You're like, God, can you just open another door, please? I'm not as limber as I used to be. Maybe a Christian friend points to Job and says, Job lost everything, but God gave him twice as much as he had after he went through his suffering. Well, that's true, but let's read Job 42. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. That's all great, right? All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him at his house. And what did they do when they came to eat? To celebrate that now he has twice his fortunes. Next verse. They comforted and counseled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. All the blessing that God brought him didn't bring back his kids that he lost. Grief is real. Hardship is real. And yet in the midst of it, we can know and have hope. See, too often we try to minimize or trivialize others' pain. And in fact, it's something that I'm, I'm guilty of doing. It's something that I've done even in my house with my wife. She could probably tell you that. But the fact is God doesn't promise you a better job or a better car or a better girlfriend God doesn't even promise to let you know why some things happen in your life. When I look back on my life, some of the hardships I went through, I can clearly point to it and go, I know why God did that. I can see how God worked through it and in it. And there are other things I point back to and go, I don't know why God allowed that to happen. But I know He's good. I know He's faithful. I know He's going to work all things together for my good. God doesn't promise life will always be easy, but He does promise His presence. And He promises to work all things together for His eternal good and for our eternal good. 
And this is something else I've, I've learned in my life. God doesn't waste our pain. God doesn't waste our pain. The hardest, most difficult moments in my life were the times where God was closest to me and met me in the pain. God has used my hardships, my failures, my difficulties way more than he's used all my successes in my life. God doesn't waste our pain. And so today, as we look at this verse, my prayer is that this verse will become for you a pillow to rest your weary soul. That when life is hard and things don't go the way you want them to go, when you can't see the why and the what, my prayer is that this verse will be one that continually brings healing to you. When we go to look at Romans 28, I think it's good to look at it within its context. For those of you that are visiting, we're in the book of Romans. Romans was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a Pharisee who was named Saul who went around throwing Christians in jail, persecuting them, and even participating in their executions. When he was on the road to Damascus, he encountered Jesus, and his life was never the same. What we just celebrated when we did these baptisms is that these kids have encountered Jesus, and their life has been eternally changed. And because his life was changed, he he wrote letters to churches to encourage them, to challenge them. And he wrote 13 letters, which are part of the New Testament, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he wrote this book to the Christians in Rome. And chapter 8 is described by many as the greatest chapter in all the Bible. And so we decided, since it's my favorite book and my favorite chapter, to spend seven weeks in chapter 8. And today we're going to be looking at 20, verse 28, which is my favorite verse in my favorite chapter in my favorite book of the Bible. So hopefully I can explain it well. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I've been called according to his purpose. Five times in Romans, Paul says, we know. There are things that he wants us to know. And as we try to interpret this verse, I think it's important when we look at a verse and try to figure out what it means, we need to look at the verses before it and look at the verses after it to help us understand uh, what we are looking at. And last week, Bruce did a great job uh, preaching through verses 18 to 27. And so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and watch it. But I'm going to give a brief review of those verses. Verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's not saying that our present sufferings aren't significant, not that they're not very difficult, not that they're really hard. He's saying when you compare them to eternity, there's no comparison. In D group every week when we gather, we ask a question, what's your high and low from the last week? There's been times where I missed a week or two weeks, and you come back and you're like trying to think through, oh man, the last three weeks, what was, what was my high? What was my low? And the reality is as time passes, that low from three weeks ago is just a blip. You don't even remember what it was sometimes. Now those are usually just trivial things, but sometimes there's more significant blips. You know, when you're a teenager and you've been dating a girl for a few weeks or a few months and they break up with you. It's like this huge, massive thing that the world is ending. Everything is wrong. 
But then when you're 41, you look back, you're like, that relationship was dumb. It's good it ended. It was just a blip. But sometimes there are really significant blips. The death of a loved one. A physical ailment you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. Losing a job and not knowing how you're going to pay your bills. There are significant blips. I'm 41 years old. Three million years from now, when I'm in heaven, and I look back, so I'll be three million and 41 years old. (laughs) What happened to me when I was 41 will be just that, a blip. It will not be significant when compared to an eternity with Jesus Christ. But that doesn't diminish the suffering in the midst of the moment. And the Bible says... Look, even creation, creation groans, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for God to restore all things. Last week, Bruce talked about on a ship, the the guy up on the top in the crow's nest looking for land, eagerly expecting, waiting to say, land ho. All of creation is saying, this is, there's, this is wrong. We're waiting for God to restore all things. Verse 20, for creation was subjected to frustration. Bruce talked about that cycle of futility. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know, there's another one of those knows. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. All creation groans, and we all know it. We experience it. We experience the brokenness and futility of this world. But, but Paul here says that it's like the pains of childbirth. Childbirth pains are very significant, but then after, when the baby is born, the, the pain seems like a blip because now you're holding the baby. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are we're saved. The hope that is seen is no hope in all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for our, what we already or for what that. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Paul is saying that creation is groaning as believers were groaning inwardly. We're waiting for God to restore all things, waiting for God to make what is broken right. But even though there's things we know, there's also things we don't know. Verse 26, in the same way that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What what is Paul saying here? We know all these things, but there's something we don't know. Have you ever been in that moment where life is so hard that you can't even get the words of prayer out? You just find yourself crying? You don't know how to pray. The Bible says in in those moments, God hears our prayers. God understands our prayers. The Spirit interprets our prayers for Him. God knows what those tears mean. He understands those. 
The Bible says, in those moments, the Spirit intercedes for us. Because sometimes life is so hard that we don't even know how to pray. So we don't know how to pray. But we do know something. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. There's a lot there, so let's break it down a little bit further. What's included in all things? All, all things. There's not a fancy Greek word there that you need to figure out. Are all things good? No. Verse 18 talks about our suffering. Verse 20 talks about futility. Verse 22 talks about creation's groaning. Verse 23 talks about our groaning. Verse 26 talks about our weakness. When we look around the world, we can see that there is clear brokenness. As we turn on the news, we see war between Ukraine and Russia. We see uh, natural disasters, tornadoes tearing through central United States. We see school shootings. Every night when we turn on the TV, we see signs of our world and the brokenness that exists. Our world is not the way it's meant to be. But the question is, can God work any of that stuff for our good? Is He powerful enough? Is He good enough to work it together for our eternal good? Genesis 37 to 50 tells the story of Joseph, son of Jacob. Joseph was sold into slavery when he was 17 years old. For 13 years he lived as a slave and then he was, and then he was falsely accused as a slave and sent to prison and lived in prison. 13 years. If you imagine you're 17, you're thinking I'm going to become an adult and now the next 13 years of your life you spend imprisoned and as a slave. And then when he was 30, God rose him to a position of power. And his brothers who sold him into slavery, he restored that relationship. But when Jacob, their father, passed away, the brothers were really nervous that maybe he hadn't done anything to them because Jacob was still alive. And so Joseph hears word that they're worried. And he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it. What? My slavery, my imprisonment. All the hardship that I faced, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Looking back, Joseph knew what God was doing. But I can imagine in the moment he had no clue. God, I've been faithful. Why would you allow my brothers to mistreat me like that? God, I've been Faithful, God, you gave me dreams of what was ahead in my future. And yet now I've been falsely accused and I'm sitting in a jail cell. Why? God did give Joseph his why, but years later it was to save the nation of Israel. God can work even the worst of circumstances together for our good and for his good. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Notice that this verse gives a specific context in which God works all things for good. It doesn't say He works all things for the good of all people. It says He works all things for good for the benefit of His children, those who are called, those who love Him. That's how He describes His followers. 
He describes his believers as those who love him. A lot of the kids shared that they loved God, and that's why he wanted to get baptized. In Matthew 22, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In 1 Corinthians 8, 3, Paul says, whoever loves God is known by God. And in 1 Corinthians 16, he said, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Because he blesses those who have a relationship with him, who love him. So first he describes those believers as those who love God, and second as those who are called. In verse 29, it says, for God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, because of the baptism today and the shortened service, I don't have the ability to go into detail about all those things and predestination. But Ephesians 1, I love this verse. This is helpful. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us and the one He loves. God chose us before the world was even created. He predestined us for adoption for the praise of His glorious and grace, which He freely gives to us. Those are amazing truths. Back to verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to do what? How is God going to do all things for his good? Well, there's some things he's going to accomplish through whatever we're going through. First, we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. That's technical language for sanctification, which is technical language for becoming more and more like Jesus. God is going to work through these circumstances to help us become more and more like Jesus. Second, he's going to work through these situations to bring glory to himself. And he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And if you remember from the series of Colossians, we talked about how the firstborn place was that of priority and, and, and power and privilege. And so it will bring him praise, Jesus as the first among brothers and sisters. And then those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And that's talking about salvation. Last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, sometime during the series, we talked about the three tenses of salvation, past, present, and future. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin. That's what many of these kids shared. I wanted to spend eternity with Jesus. I wanted to go to heaven. And so they gave their life to God, and God saved them from the penalty of that sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, that's the penalty of sin, but have eternal life. Romans 5, but God demonstrates His love for us in this, but while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? The penalty of sin. So the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're saved from the penalty of sin. But as we live, we are being saved from the power of sin. We talked about how in Romans 7, it talks about the struggle that we have. But through the Spirit, we can have victory in the future we will be saved from the presence 
of sin. That's where he talks about being glorified. Glorified in this passage is listed in the past tense, which doesn't make sense because here we say, oh, it's a future tense. Well, why does Paul list it in the past tense? Well, because it's already been accomplished. What needed to be done has been done. Jesus said it is finished. He paid for our sins. So the moment we put our faith and trust in him, we can look forward to spend eternity with him. All right, because of time, we have to wrap this up. So I want Romans 8.28 to be a soothing pillow, a restful pillow when you face weariness. So let's go back to it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 doesn't mean that everything will turn out okay. It doesn't mean that we won't go through hardships. It doesn't mean that things won't get any worse. Sometimes they do. But rather, that in light of eternity, God will work all things together. If you are a follower of Christ, you can say God will work all things together for your good. For his good. And his eternal purposes, we don't see all of it, but we know he is sovereign. So as we try to wrap this up, I want to remind you of three things. What do we do know? What do we don't know? What do we do know? So if you take nothing else away from the sermon, remember they say three things. Do know, don't know, do know. First, we do know that the whole of creation has been growing and is in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. What does that mean? You are going to experience hardships. Jesus said, in this world there will be trouble. If you live any significant amount of time, you're going to face the death of a loved one. You're going to face a cancer diagnosis. You're going to face a health diagnosis. You're going to face all sorts of things. You're going to lose your job. You're going to go through all sorts of things. And it's going to cause groaning. We, we know this. If you've lived any length of time, you've experienced this. But secondly, Jesus said, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He is there with us. So the second thing that we don't know is sometimes we don't know how we ought to pray. Sometimes life gets so hard that we can't even come and create words. We find ourselves in this moment where we have no way to express what we're feeling because the pain is too intense and too deep. And that's where we have comfort that God says in those groans, the Holy Spirit interprets them, that God hears our tears. He hears our pains. He knows our sorrow. So we don't know what we ought to pray for sometime, but we do know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that God will work things for our good through the Holy Spirit. He'll conform us to be more, conform us to the image of Jesus. So will help us to be more and more like Jesus. We know that your salvation, your life will bring glory to Jesus. And then we know that if you're a believer, you can have confidence. They saved you from the penalty of sin. He is saving you from the power of sin. And he one day will save you from the presence of sin. When you're glorified, you'll no longer have to go through hardships anymore. I love Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of 
Christ Jesus. What God starts, He always finishes. What God starts, He always finishes. There are moments in our life where it feels like everything has fallen out from underneath us. And sometimes in those difficult moments, the best thing you can have is just a good pillow. Somewhere to lie down and weep. My encouragement to you today is make this verse your pillow. No matter what life has thrown your way, we have a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That verse has brought me through so many hard times in my prayers that it brings you through them as well. Because God is good, and he does good, and he loves you, and he's going to work those things for your good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, so often we we experience difficulties in our life and we don't know what to say, we don't know what to pray, we don't know what to do. And Lord, sometimes it can be so hard to believe this truth that you work all things together for our good. Lord, sometimes we never see it. We don't get to go back and look at the why and know why you would allow something to happen. But Lord, we trust you. And we believe that you will work those things together for our eternal good, to make us more like you, to to bring praise and glory to your name. And Lord, that we can look at a God who is not distant from us, but one who suffered purposefully and willingly on this earth to pay for our sins so we can spend eternity with you, Lord. And this momentary life is just a blip on the long scope of eternity. And we thank you that you can work all those hard, difficult blips together for your purposes. In your name we pray. Amen.